Welcome to the Start of Grind podcast. Starting a company is not for the faint of heart. They're always questioning, 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 tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. Where we talk to entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and thought leaders about how to build a great company. Like my friends, like you think you're crazy. I think you got to be a little nuts. And change the world in the process. We optimize for impact instead of profit. It's never been a more exciting time to be an entrepreneur. From startup grind chapters across the globe. The chapter director for Cape Town. Boise, Idaho. London. Mala, Palestine. Guangzhou, China. And delivered to you every Monday and Wednesday. It's a startup grind. Hey there and welcome to Monday's episode of the Startup Grind podcast. Today we have a conversation with Joanne Wilson, a prominent angel investor in New York City. Joanne has had several careers on her way to an investor. She started as a buyer at Macy's, went on to run a company in the rag trade, and eventually ended up spearheading sales for a startup magazine called Silicon Alley Reporter. She has sat on a number of profit and non-profit boards and has been involved with a variety of big real estate transactions from beginning to end. Joanne has been blogging since 1994 under the name Gotham Gal and has been involved with the startup community as an angel investor and advisor ever since. Many of the companies she works with are either owned or started by women, Companies like Food 52, Daily Worth, The Sweeten, Window Farms, Scoot, Blue Bottle Coffee, Loverly, LittleBits, Nest.io, Latote, Curbed, as well as Rick's Picks, several restaurants, and The Moon Group. She is the chairperson of Hot Bread Kitchen and sits on the board of the High Line. Let's listen in to Joanne Wilson, interviewed in New York City by director Peter Crisdale. I think Joanne needs much introduction, and we're really going to get into her whole background, but she's an extremely prolific angel investor. She's got over 85 companies now in her portfolio. She's been investing for eight years. I'm extremely, extremely excited to welcome Joanne Wilson to the stage. All right. Thanks, Joanne. Thanks for coming. Sure. How's your, uh, is your microphone on? It is on. You ever hear me? Yeah. Everybody here? Yeah? Awesome. Great. So um, why don't we jump right in? We'll do a little background on you before we really get into Q&A or anything. Okay. Um, Yep. Great. Um, I would love to start just if you can... Can you give us your pitch? Can you give us your... My pitch? <laughs> yeah. I've been pitching in a long time, although I will say someone years ago, this was, God, this was 98, 99, and um, I had left a company in the internet industry. There was a guy that I had known who had, it was a pretty huge magazine at that point. Um, now it's nothing. And... Um, uh, he had, you know, heard that I, I had left and he called me and he's like, you know, really want you to come in, blah, 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 I was like, or whatever. And this woman called me and she said, you know, if John asked me to call you, can I have your resume? And I was like, you must be kidding. And I was like, I don't have a resume, I'll give you my two minute pitch. And yeah. then of course, as I had, you know, had three kids and I was running this business and went through the whole drill and she's like, okay, fine, good enough. That was it. I didn't take the job, but it was kind of hilarious. <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, that's got to be uh, that's got to feel good when people are coming to you and and asking for something from you rather than you going out and pitching people on yourselves. And... Yeah, that's a good. I never really thought about that that way, but yeah. <laughs> well, I, do you think there was a moment in your life where that flipped? Was there a point where you were going out and really trying to push your own agenda and try to convince people to work with you and and 
I, because I assume it's quite the opposite now. It was never, no, I never had to go out and search. Yeah. It's a funny thing when you're interested in investing in someone, how they find you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, money. you know, I started blogging. So I started blogging 13 years ago with this, like, I guess romantic vision that I didn't want. I, I, I got off the train. I sort of stayed home with our kids for a couple of years for a variety of reasons. And also the entire internet had completely imploded. I mean, it wasn't like there were all these jobs out there and, and it wasn't like you were starting a company, people were closing companies. And so I stayed home with our kids for a while, sort of like rethinking like what's next, what's next? And, you know, blogging sort of came into play. Hmm. And my husband had been blogging, I think for a big two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you should try this. You might really like this. And, um, and I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity to do something that is only mine. And we'll see what happens with it. And I think the, the few people that were blogging at that point, we all kind of knew each other. Yeah. Um, and then over time, I started, you know, there wasn't discussed then. So the only way that people would find me is they would email me. And um, I sort of became this sort of magnet, particularly from women, you know, like a chick magnet and about like, I love what you're <laughs> writing and I like talk to you about my business. And then it sort of, you know, escalated. You I mean, that demonstrates very much the sense of experimentation. Do you consider yourself to be sort of a continual experimenter? Or are you always trying new things? I am always trying new <laughs> things. I love change. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I believe that your first sort of official angel investment was one that you were very passionate about even before you found out they were, raising, they were money. raising money. Yeah. I mean, I was reading Curb Media and Eater and Rack like a few times a day, and I was obsessed with not only the content, but I was obsessed with the business model mm. because you know this is the beginnings really of the next generation of the web. And I was convinced that this is how we were gonna take in content as we move forward. And the web started to sort of create all these new businesses. And what's interesting about the generation two is that the people that were starting these businesses versus the first generation, they actually grew up with computers. And so the differential is that they were very understood how businesses could be built on them or how they could use them to change their lives um, with my uh, co-founder who is no longer involved, um, although she came, um, she's great, is um, a professor at ITP. And she was very frustrated with the, um, the classes that year. You know, ITP, um, if anyone doesn't know, is the Interactive Telecommunications Program at NYU. Similar to Media Lab, MIT Media Lab, but it's always been a 50-50 gender, and it's a little more artistic um, than MIT Media Lab. It's a great program. It was started by Red Burns, um, who's a legend. And um, that particular year, she had a couple of classes that were 60-40. She was frustrated, and she's like, there's not enough women in tech. And I said, yes, they are. They just network differently. Hmm. And so she's like, I want to do something to acknowledge some of it. So we, she said, I want to do this event. She said, would you do it with me? And at that point in my life, I was like, sure. And so we started this event, we did it at NYU for five years, and we realized literally the first day, we're like, oh my God, we've really tapped into something here. Hmm. And fast forward after five years, I was done with NYU, um, and I was done with the whole, how it was produced, the whole thing. And um, I happened to have dinner with my husband and my sister about two days before the last festival at NYU. We got very hammered on margaritas, and my <laughs> husband was just like, you cannot give this up. Yeah. Like, you, you can't. And my sister was like, well, I'll run it. 
And that was the end. And so she took it over and she's like my partner in the business now, which is a godsend. And, you know, she's logistics. She's a producer. She's insanely creative. She has great ideas. And um, we're a really good team. And so we put this event on in April at One World Trade Center. 400 women came. We had amazing sponsors. Um, and it's an incredible event. And we're going to grow it. We're going to do it in L.A. in November. Cool. And we're going to do it L.A., Berlin, and New York the following year. And then there's a whole other side to it. Have you seen the landscape of uh, female founders change since you became an angel investor or since you first were really paying attention? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think when I started investing, one of the reasons I made a conscious decision to invest in females, unless, of course, some amazing business came by my door that a guy was involved in, had to have a female on the team, um, is um, no one was investing in these women. Hmm. And no one really understood them. And I understood them and I understood their businesses. And it was only you know, seven, eight years ago. Um, But now that's accelerated. Um, And so, you know, I mean, I remember meeting with Rachel Chong for breakfast at Catch a Fire. And she's like, she literally came running after me after breakfast. She's like, will you, it's funny, will you please be my mentor? I was like, I hate that thing. What does that mean? And she's like, well, you know, everyone involved in my business is a man. And no one, I haven't ever had a breakfast like this with someone. Mm. So I was like, well, if you still have money in the first round, then I'd be interested. <laughs> and so, you know, then I got involved with Rachel. So, you know, I really did make that conscious decision to support women. And so, you know, I really do believe that, you know, I have probably, you know, 60 women in my portfolio who are founders. And as these women grow um, their businesses, some will go public, some will sell their companies, some will start new companies. These ones didn't work out. But as they become more household names and they stay in the press, that we will see a shift in the importance of gender diversity in our communities and um, and a little more bow to these women of these businesses they're building. And by the way, it's the same thing with minorities. I mean, I'm supposedly, so Catherine Finney, the number one angel investor in minorities that have raised over a million dollars in this country. Meaning non-white men. Blacks and Latinos. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, like, that's a conscious decision. And many of them are building businesses that the people on the other side table don't even get. And there's a huge freaking communities. And so I think that it's important, and certainly through social media, that we rise those names to the top. So that others around can go, you know, to me, like, God, you were so fucking smart. But more importantly is that then when those people walk in their office, they look at that differently. Right. It, uh, from what I've perceived, it seems like there's a huge, uh, there's a huge mentorship opportunity for female entrepreneurs that didn't exist eight years ago. Totally. Because there are just more opportunities for yeah. mentorship and, and people kind of um, trying to find ways to facilitate women entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think there is an opportunity, if we fast forward another eight or 10 years, for for communities to start merging a little more? Meaning that, do you think there will be more chances for um, men mentoring women, women mentoring men, um, people from non-white, non-male populations mixing a lot more? 
Because right now it seems very much that men invest in men, women invest in women, minorities invest in minorities. How do you see that, that changing? changing over time? Well, I think one of the, th I do think it will change. And as I said, I think it's the same thing what I'm talking about is that, you know, rising tides can fix a lot of stuff. Um, so I think that's one thing that's super important. Um, and that will shift. I mean, there are some men, what some have men have said to women that have pitched and is just like unbelievable. Um, you know, well, how do I know you're not going to get pregnant and have children? I don't want to rest in bed and somebody's going to, you know, have children. It's like, well, guess what? We are the only ones that can have children. <laughs> so someone has to have them. Um, but I think that one of the things that will make a big impact is the large companies like Etsy or, you know, um, Salesforce or Facebook that are essentially forcing men to take three months off when their kid is born. And literally, you have to take off that time. So if you have a child, it's a partner, wife, husband, whatever it is, and you both stay home those first three months, that changes the game from day one yeah. versus the past where he went off to work and the woman sat there with like diapers hanging off her head. And so I think that will be a very change in males outlook in regards to the women on the other side of the table. Do you, um, so it, it seems like uh, we're talking about both um, women as employees, but then women as founders. Mm -hmm. Do you think just the idea that uh, that policies are more favorable or more equitable between men and women on an employee level will then spur more women to become entrepreneurs or feel more empowered to break away from that company and start their own thing? If you look at data, women tend to start businesses later. In age-wise? Age-wise, okay. right? Um, in, a, in, in kind of not surprising, women like to cross their T's and dot their I's, which is a good thing and a bad thing. So then when they feel confident and comp confident and comfortable in something, they can then go on to start businesses. I mean, so many women who I've met have started businesses and said, I always knew I wanted to start a business. So I wasn't ready to start the business. And that's a very different mindset. Um, but I do think that a lot of these social shifts um, will have long tail effects of um, employees, founders, um, everything. I hope so. Because I believe when the internet really started and that business in like the mid nineties, that that was going to change the world because these companies were going to be gender neutral and it was going to change everything. I mean, cause the first job I was at that I started at Macy's and I charged up the ladder very, very quickly next to all of my counterparts. And I became a buyer in three years. And this man literally was like, stop. Hmm. Women do not move as quickly as men to manage and lead their company. I think the role is to be supportive. You make board decisions together and do anything you can to help that founder, be it buyer and hire a great new staff or evolve in regards to what the business plan is and, and how we're gonna execute on it and be there as a sounding board. But at the end of the day, it's a hell of a lot harder for that founder to make those decisions than anybody else. Sure, you had a great quote in an interview I'd heard, which was basically said, well, it's my advice, but it's your company. Yeah. Right, and I really like that a lot. 
I think it's really true. I mean, but I am, I mean, listen, there's this guy who emailed me and, and it's one of those things like you remember. And so I answer all my emails. Um, and I just think it's so hard being a founder that you deserve a response because you're out there, you're trying to raise money for your company, something you belong, believe in. And, you know, it's nice to respond. Even if the answer is no, at least I, I looked at it, I acknowledged it. And, um, and so this one guy emails me and he's got this business to do with these computers and these like kiosks that you can recharge in a airport, airports. And he's in like two or three airports in the South. And I think he's putting them in schools. And he's in this business and, you know, he's like, I really like the idea, you know, um, listening to you. And I actually, you know, I love the whole thing with women and I brought my wife into the business and, you know, I'm looking to raise money now. And I was, he was doing well, you know, he actually was doing really well. He was actually profitable. And I said, this is not a venture capital business. Right. It's not a venture backed business. It was like, you've got all these communities in your community. You've got these schools, you've got these airports, you brought in your wife, four of you together in your business now, you could probably build this business to a $20 million business a year, make four or five. Like, right. why would you want my money? Right. Like, go down that path. See exactly. how that works. You're wasting all this time because no one's going to invest in this business. Yeah. This is not something that people invest in, right. um, at least ones I know. Yeah. And so um, a year later, I got an email in my box from the same threat. Mm -hmm. like, you gave me the only, you're the only one who told me not to do this. And I, I did what you suggested. And he's like, I think then he's like, and I brought in my wife and we're profitable and we like, you know, netted a million dollars last year after oh. paying salaries and everything. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, because, yeah. you know, he didn't have to deal with investors. Yeah. yeah, I think with all the hype, it's like everyone thinks that you have to raise venture capital. Everybody thinks you should raise money. Successful business. It's, kind of, it's something like, uh, I don't know, uh, a single digit percentage of successful US companies has ever raised outside capital there's something like that and and something like 80 percent of businesses are small businesses but a quick break from the startup round podcast for some recent startup headlines toyota is planning to spend one billion dollars developing an ai driver assisted technology over the next five years the company aims to develop systems for evasive driving across multiple lanes and more China's Sunway Taihu Light supercomputer has now been named the world's fastest. It is capable of performing at 93 petaflops. The company supplanted the previous record holder, Chinese Taihu 2, by more than three times. The new system is built entirely from Chinese semiconductors. China now has more superconductors than any other country in the world. Stock trading application IEX has received SEC approval to become a national exchange. The startup makes use of technology designed to prevent high-frequency traders from heading off trades, only to immediately resell them to the initial buyer at an inflated cost. Let's get back to the interview with Joanne Wilson. Um, there's a question from Twitter that I think could be really sort of interesting in terms of your background and kind of what you can bring to the table in terms of being an investor, which is from uh, the Twitter handle is Deals and Divas. Is that anybody here? Deals and Divas? Oh, hey, how's it going? What's your name? Marcia. Marcia. All right, thanks, Marcia. So Marcia's question is, uh, well, she says she'd love to know if you've had any failures and why those things failed. So I've been really lucky. So I'm in over, a little over 90 businesses actually at this point. Um, and I've been doing it since 2007. And I've had, I think five failures and the rest are all 
hang it in there. <laughs> um, some are hanging at a higher level. <laughs> some are like, you know, we'll see. Um, I'm sure there will be some that will die and others that actually will become part of other companies, which is fine. You know, sometimes, um, you know, a couple of these, what is the whole, one whole is better than the sums of all these different parts, right? So I have two that are doing that now, and I think it's going to be a win-win for everybody. Um, one massive failure I had, and um, it was the best thing that ever happened. I learned so much from that failure. I was on the board. There were so many red flags at the very beginning, but I chose to ignore them. I mean, literally, they were like, like waving in my face. Um, and, and I loved the business model. And all the people that were investors in this company were like the who's who. I'm the only one who read the documents. It took us eight months to close it. We had to restructure the whole thing. And um, it died and flamed out. He went through $4 million in almost 10 months. <laughs> now there was debt and things that he should have renegotiated. It was one, like, he, he was a very creative guy that didn't listen to the money. And, um, you know, it was, it was one of those things where you're just like, like what the, you know, spewing out your numbers, you know, because you had to know your business. And Robin called me that day to come upstairs before they were coming to the store. I was wearing a suit. She, on the other hand, I walk upstairs and she's wearing a tight black miniskirt, a tight sweater, and red high heels that high. And she had an incredible figure. And I was like, Robin, don't you know who's coming today? She goes, yes, I do. <laughs> and I was like, wow, note to self, use what you got. <laughs> All assets. <laughs> Uh, Talisa D has an interesting question. Where is Talisa? Great, how's it going? Oh, yeah, great. Um, so she says the gender gap in tech is slowly closing, but have you seen any increase in women venture capitalists? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. You know, particularly in analysts um, who, for whatever reason, actually, you know, I know the reason is I think women like to be part of teams. And so they go and they become these investors, which, by the way, being an investor is a very lonely job. You know, you meet with your group on Monday, your partners, and then you're on your own. Your community is really your businesses. Um, you know, yes, you've got your partners to bounce things off, but the reality is you're on your own. And most of the women analysts end up going to work for companies or going back to business school because they want to be part of a team. And I have actually was in San Francisco in January, and I went to this event. I met all these analysts, and I said to them, don't leave. You know, come back. Like, you're all really good at what you do. Um, and at one point you will have your community or you'll have your children and you'll have that community and you can come back and be an investor and not feel that you need to have a community in your work life so, as much as you do now. Um, but I am seeing more women and I can tell you because I have a relationship with a lot of the male teams and venture capitalists across the country, um, a lot of calls to say we really want to hire a woman you know, venture capitalist. As a partner. As a partner, do you know anyone? And I have had that. I actually had someone talk to who they're taking a quarter of their fund and putting it in LPs and only um, LPs, they are, put, they are LPs and only putting it into funds that have a woman partner. Um, so yes, that is definitely changing. And I think that's great. 
Um, so we have another question. The question from, is, what are your thoughts about the VR and artificial intelligence craze? Do you invest in those industries? And I think if I could expand that generally, can you talk about some of the industries that you are most interested in? VR, no. <laughs> That's it. Do you care to elaborate? I don't believe it. You don't believe in it? I don't, I, I see this as a blip in the road to something else. And as a venture capitalist, you should invest in it because you will learn from it. You might not make any money, but your LPs pay you to put money in you to educate your minds in a particular area. And so I think that's a really good thing. And I think it's great for the economy. It's great for jobs. It's great for innovation. I don't want to be involved in something that's the first generation of something that I'm not even positive. I'm not even sure about it. I'm not even sure how it's going to evolve. AI, I think, is very interesting. Um, and again, I really believe in it. I really believe in it. I haven't seen anything. I'm not so sure I would invest in it. But I do think that it's going to be a game changer for us over the next 20 years. Um, so, uh, yes. Um, Along those lines, do you have a preference to um, software, more lightweight products versus hardware and things that have high capital costs? Do you think that's part of it? I've done both. Um, so I'm not partial to either or, um, because my thesis has been a broad one over the last eight, nine years. Um, I think I'm focusing a little more on my thesis now going forward because I only invest in one thing per vertical, um, because I don't think that you can support multiples in one vertical. I don't think it's authentic. Um, and I, um, I don't want to see companies building better mousetraps that have already had a huge amount of funding and are just hitting their stride. Not that they can't be disrupted too, but you know, it's not something that excites me. I think it's also a harder battle uphill. Um, you know, for me, the arenas that I think are really interesting now is agriculture, um, particularly because of phones. You know, that you could have literally someone picking a strawberry, taking a photo, putting a number to it and it can get all the way to sweet greens and we'll know who ate it and where it came from because they can do that, right? You can't like have someone run off to a software system and plug in how many strawberries. So I think that's really interesting. I think technology is gonna really change agriculture. And when 40% of our food goes to waste, that's like, like it's something waiting to be fixed. Um, and I'm very interested in the cannabis industry. I think that in five years from now, it's gonna be a free for all that we're gonna be able to, in 10 years from now, you're going to be able to buy it at 7-Eleven. And so I think that that is a really interesting opportunity. Do you think they'll sell it at Sweet Greens? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are there uh, other other things that uh, are there other things that are uh, maybe passions for you where you really like talking to entrepreneurs in that arena? Um, you aren't necessarily ready to mobilize dollars there, but you're just really passionate about it. You know, I've always been one of those people that read like a bunch of nonsense for your head so that you can sort of just, you know, uh, um, know what's going on sort of in the big picture kind of way. Um, you know, master, what is it? Uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Um, but um, I really love the design world. I always have. Um, and I really, uh, I love the whole building architect um, construction world. Um, and I have a lot of investments in that area. Right. Um, I've always been passionate about the food industry. Um, and, you know, I'm a huge book reader. 
Um, and uh, I love to travel, but I would never invest in a travel app. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I mean, the reality is I'd probably invest in things that I really just understand. Hmm. How, how long do you take to try to understand something before you kind of move on to the next thing? Um, in terms of what do you mean? I mean, uh, let's say that someone in the audience pitched you on something that you weren't at all familiar with. Would you, uh, would you spend? The business? No. No. I know what I know. That's you how know I've always you. operated. Yeah. So if it's not something that you can grasp in kind of right. five minutes or less, yeah. then. I mean, listen, I think biotech is a fascinating place to be in right now. But honestly, like, I'm a one-man band. I have no analysts behind me. I think the companies that invest in that have a whole group of them behind me. I could go back to my office and say to my assistant, like, after talking to someone, oh, my God, that person's amazing. What a great idea. And someone else who was actually an analyst would say, there is a hundred of them. <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, right. really? So, I mean, I don't know that arena well enough to make intelligent decisions. I did invest in some healthcare stuff early on, mm -hmm. but it just, there were different things happening then. Now it's just been an explosion. Yeah. Um, there was another great comment that I'd heard from you at some point, which was um, that if something is, uh, if something is not sort of immediately obvious, then it's not going to be obvious to the customer either. Um, and I, I think that makes all the sense in the world, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. If you, you know, if I had a company and I pitched you in 30 seconds and you had no idea what the hell I was talking about, then unless my company, my customer is someone who's completely and extremely technical and, and a business somewhere over there, then it's not going to make sense to them. Right. No, listen, if you're dealing with consumers, business to business is different. Yeah. Um, Backend technologies are different. Um, but when you're dealing with consumers, I mean, when I was in the garment center, they had a saying, which is, if you want to hang with the classes, you have to sell to the masses. <laughs> and it's a great saying um, because you, that's how big businesses are built. You know, it's selling to hundreds and thousands and millions of people. Um, and, I, and I think that one of the things that we all do as um, founders of these companies um, is that we feel that we need to be in New York and San Francisco, these massive the two connections, right? Even as we grow our companies, who our customers are. And I saw a company that I ended up not investing in just because I came late to the party and they wouldn't, couldn't take enough of my money and it wasn't worth it for me. But what I loved is that he was raised on a farm and he was in Northern Canada and he built this food business um, that was delivery really. I mean, you know, whatever. We'll see how that works out, the delivery business. But, um, what was interesting is that he was entering the United States and he was going to Cincinnati and Cleveland. And I thought it was genius. You know, and I'm in other companies where I'm like, do not go to San Francisco next. Go to Atlanta. Yeah. They would be so happy to have you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I, I think that is, you know, something to think about as we grow our businesses is that, you know, I'm in this one business now in Los Angeles. Again, it's in the fast food casual business, but they could have 150 chains from San Diego to Seattle yeah. and be a fabulous business. Yeah. And so I think that's important to think about as we grow our businesses. 
Um, are you familiar with Steve Case and his rise of the rest idea? He's the former founder of AOL. No, I know Steve. Yeah. No, um, I don't know. What's his idea? He, he, <laughs> he has this whole bus tour. He traveled the country um, on this rise of the rest tour. Um, his thesis being that the next major companies are going to be coming out of Milwaukee and out of Detroit and out of cities that are not on the coast. Um, and he, he is at least pushing that idea very strongly. Listen, I think that's really interesting. I would hope so. But the bottom line is then there has to be money in those cities. Yeah. Because unfortunately, for whatever reason it is, many of the big investors in Silicon Valley, head of if you have a big company in Iowa, yeah. will be that and move here. Right. But regardless, you know, if I was from Cleveland, I would like be hanging in Cleveland. If I was from Detroit, I'd be moving back there and just seeing as much as I possibly can to help the community and, you know, but I'm a New Yorker. Yeah. But I think that the, the how we're gonna make those cities really do well, there has to be more um, capital. Sure. Yeah, and that's the, there's not enough of an ecosystem. I mean, Silicon Valley, you know, started with Intel and they've had, you know, uh, before Intel, they had literally generations of capital that's totally. cycling through all these companies. Right. Even New York is, is now sort of building that back up again, but a lot of the smaller cities don't have that. They don't have the capital. Yeah. Um, so, um, but I think for angel investors or micro funds, that's really interesting to be in those cities. Mm -hmm. Um, because A, you're putting money back into your community, and B is, you know, those type funds that I think will be the most successful in many ways over the next decade that are $30 million funds, you don't have to have a billion dollar exit. You know, you can have a company that exits at 50 or 80 or $100 million, and it doesn't cost nice. as much money to start these businesses. Right. Um, and I think more people are really thinking thoughtfully about how do I become profitable? How do I do this intelligently? So um, I know you actually have to run, so we're gonna wrap it up. But I'm gonna ask you just um, one more question. Um, typically with uh, all of our startup grant events, we actually try to hear people from the audience, but since you have to run, we might wrap it up with you first and then we'll do an audience portion after you head out, if that's all right. Yeah, it's fine. Great. Um, but so the final question to you is, um, what are you most excited about in the next 12 months, what do you, you know, if you were to fast forward 12 months from now, what do you think you would see and, and how would the ecosystem have shifted? And there, I'm really excited about the companies that I'm invested in now um, that are well-funded, that um, will, many of them will become profitable over the next 12 months, um, that um, uh, will, you know, either continue growing as a profitable company or they'll go out and raise money later on down the line. But I'm really, I really am focused on what I have now and the multiple boards that I sit on. I mean, not that I'm not seeing stuff all the time in decks, but there's very few things that are coming my way that I can get, that I get excited about these days. Um, but, and I, we talked about this a little earlier is the ecosystem has changed with capital. Not that there's not tremendous amount of capital out there still, but people are holding back their capital. They're being more thoughtful about their capital. Um, and um, 
you know, a lot of the ones that raise money, they're now looking to raise more money as micro VCs, haven't yet to prove that they're successful. So we're seeing a lot of that mess. Um, but, you know, I think as investors, you do start to see things in people and think, are they gonna be able to raise another round? Right. And um, you have to. Yeah, and what's the time frame to raise a Series A or Series Right, and so, um, you know, it's, it is, it's tougher out there. There's no doubt. I mean, not that companies aren't getting funded and not that, you know, I think if you've got a great company, you will always get funded. Um, but it is, it's going to be a little more of a slog. Sure. All right. All right, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you.